0: Welcome to Copyright Clearance Owners Podcast Series. I'm Christopher Kinley for Velocity of Content. It is Friday, September 30th, 2022. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me again today. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. October arrives on Saturday, Andrew, which means the Frankfurt Book Fair is nearly upon us. This week, PW has a preview of all the events at what is the publishing industry's largest trade show anywhere. Yes, and I think
1: this year the Frankfurt Book Fair is really looking to get back to some semblance of normal. Uh, Our international editor, Ed Nawaka wrote this year's preview, and that's certainly the sense that he got in talking with Frankfurt Book Fair officials. Uh, As you say, it's October? And the Frankfurt Book Fair is back. It will run from Wednesday to Sunday, October 19th to the 23rd. There's going to be two and a half days dedicated to professional events for publishers and two days solely for the general public. Uh, officials are expecting about 4,000 exhibitors from 85 countries, at least that's what the registrations are showing. There's going to be about 70 or so national stands that are going to be, as usual, showcasing publishers and books from around the world. And the Lit Center, the, the Agents' Rights Center, is once again sold out. It's always sold out. It's a huge attraction, obviously, at Frankfurt, 450 tables this year gone. Uh, So that's a good sign for the organizers. Uh, And Frankfurt Book Fair officials tell us that they are hoping that wherever we are, whatever this is, post-COVID, whatever, that we are definitely going to get back to a somewhat normal show this year.
0: And as far as the pandemic and precautions uh, regarding COVID-19 go, what can attendees expect this year?
1: Yeah, and that's a really good question, right? And you know, I I hedged a little bit about where we are in terms of COVID because I'm I'm not even really sure. You know, I guess it's fair to say that we are not post COVID nineteen because COVID nineteen is still with us for sure. But at the same time, we're, we're kind of post pandemic, right? Like we're we're through kind of the worst of this, and as someone who just got COVID-19 recently for the first time in August, after being in Europe for about 48 hours, I can tell you that the continent of Europe is done with COVID-19 protocols, much like much of the U.S. Uh, now, there was a Frankfurt Book Fair in person last year, of course, but that Frankfurt, I think, was really kind of a shell of itself. There were still restrictions in place. Uh, this year is really the year that the Frankfurt Book Fair is going to be taking a step back toward what organizers are hoping is going to be a resurgent fair. Uh, without restrictions, people are going to be free to walk around and, and do their business as they have been in past years. So Frankfurt Book Fair director Jürgen Bose told PW that he estimates, this is what I guess normal is now, he estimates attendance is going to be about 70% of what it was in 2019 before the pandemic. And I think that's an ambitious number. If they hit 70%, I think that would be a huge success. So we'll pay attention and see where that number comes down. And I think while many publishers have adapted to doing business digitally, I think many people really do want to meet in Frankfurt. They want to go to this fair. They want to see each other face-to-face. But I'm not going to minimize the task that's at hand here for Frankfurt. You know, US publishers are going to be attending the show this year, but they're going to be sending much smaller cohorts than in past years. And most American publishers, frankly, have still not figured out how to get their staff back into the office safely here in New York, much less get them safely on the road again. And I think the bigger question is you know, publishers are trying to figure out whether they really do need, or more to the point, whether they really want to pay for these kind of major, big booths international book shows. Now, personally, you know how I feel, Chris. I think they are hugely important. I see a lot of good in them, and I'd like to see them come back. But I know that others at many of the major houses, especially those who are dealing with the budgets, are going to need a little convincing. Meanwhile, here's a shot of normal. PW is going to be back in Frankfurt this year with our show dailies. There's going to be three print editions, and they'll also be available online, but they'll be handed out on the show floor. Uh, But here's something that's not normal. I will not be there this year. I'm actually taking a break from travel, uh, given some events in my personal life uh, recently, all is well. But I've just decided not to travel this fall but I'm certainly going to be watching with interest. And and meanwhile, if you are going to Frankfurt or if you're just interested in checking out what's going to be happening there, you can do so on the Publishers Weekly site. This year's Book Fair is focusing on the topic of translation, which is terrific. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of effort supporting the Ukrainian publishing industry, and more than 30 Ukrainian publishers are going to be attending the fair this year. And there's going to be dozens of Ukrainian authors as as well as illustrators and professionals who are going to be featured in a bunch of events that are going to be highlighting Ukrainian and publishing in what is now a war-torn country. Uh, I understand Russian publishers are not going to be there, no surprise. Uh, Michael Tamblin, who's the CEO of Kobo, is going to feature at this year's CEO Talk. And the guest of honor country is Spain. And apparently the king and queen of Spain are expected to attend this year's opening fair ceremony. So that's exciting. Anyway, plenty more uh, in this week's PW about what to expect in Frankfurt. And you can check that stuff all out online.
0: Several publishers have now announced their publication plans for the official report of the United States House Select Committee on the January 6th attack. For the book world and for readers, Andrew, do you think these proprietary editions of public reports are a big deal?
1: Yeah. So the January 6th report, I think, is going to prove to be a blockbuster for many reasons, You know, not the least of which is that the public hearings that were, I found riveting. But of course, you know, the subject matter is really incredibly and compelling stuff. And Frankly, it's all been coming together kind of like a page turner. So to that end, we learned last week that, yes, as you say, Random House is going to publish a proprietary edition. They're publishing the January 6th report in fall of 2022. So imminently, it's going to feature a forward by California Congressman Adam Schiff, who is chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, figures to offer critical insights on the insurrection. And I I guess since they're publishing this imminently, the report is almost done. There's also a Macmillan edition from Celadon Books, which is going to be published in conjunction with The New Yorker, and it's going to have an epilogue by uh, Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, who served on the January 6th committee, and it's going to feature an introduction by New Yorker editor David Remnick, so I'm sure there'll be some fascinating insights added to the public domain report by those two. And then there's HarperCollins, which is also publishing an edition with MSNBC host Ari Melber doing the forward. And now to get to the question you ask, yeah, I think these published editions are a big deal. I think they provide the information in these public reports in an organized and readable fashion as books. Uh, They're more easily preserved this way. They're marketed and they attract readers. And frankly, for the publishers, they have really good margins. Because remember, most of this book is public domain stuff except for the forwards. So there's no royalties to pay or except to uh, the people who write the forwards and afterwards. But there's one other edition that I want to point out here too. And that's that I'm sure that the digital edition – of this report is also going to be published by the Digital Public Library of America. In fact, the DPLA this week has already released an ebook edition of all the January 6th documents that have been submitted so far. And I believe that they are planning to do a full, formal, free ebook edition when the final report is released as well. And again, that's going to be a free ebook edition that's available for people to download and read.
0: When the DPLA released its first ebook, The Report on the Investigation into Russian Interference in the 2016 presidential election, otherwise known as the Mueller Report, you criticized the government publishing office, Andrew, for putting out a PDF of the report.
1: Yeah, so that was that's right. Back in twenty nineteen I wrote a column about the various commercial editions of the Mueller Report that were coming out, and there were a ton. And what prompted me to write that column was a piece in the Atlantic by Ian Bogust, who had written a biting take on the various efforts to use these public domain reports for commercial gain. And I'm a fan of Ian's, and I take his point, and I took his point then. But I'm going to reiterate, I really do think there's value in these commercial efforts by publishers, and I'm glad that publishers do them. You know, readers who are seeking a good, readable print book of these public reports should really have that option available to them. And also, I think it's good that reports like, you know, the Mueller report and the January 6th report are going to get a jolt of marketing and visibility in the nation's bookstores and libraries too. And also, you know, publishers can just, let's face it, they can reach readers far more efficiently than the federal government can. And what we really want for these federal reports is readers. So the problem that I did see in 2019 and that I still do see is that the digital version of this freely available report to the public. So like so many today, well, they're terrible. They're PDFs. They're image only PDFs, as a matter of fact. In fact, that's what really upset me about the Mueller report was that it was thrown up on the website as an image only PDF. And if you've ever tried reading an image only PDF on your phone or your iPad, well, it's just impossible. You know, you can't make the page. This was a, you know, 500, 600 page report. So, It's just impossible to read them that way. And if you really wanted to read it that way, you'd have to shell out $7.99 to buy a commercially available digital version of the report. Now, with the Mueller report, I have to say, it wasn't surprising that this was just thrown up as a terrible PDF because with that report, the Trump administration really didn't want people to read it, right? So, of course, they weren't going to put it out in a readable form. And I actually reached out to the GPO in 2019, and I asked them, uh, the GPO, of course, being the the government publishing office, I I asked them, why not make a real ebook. It's 2019. This technology is available. It's inexpensive. Why didn't you do it? And their response to me was to punt it back to the DOJ. DOJ's in control, they said. GPO was not involved in any of the production. Well, that was an unsatisfying response, to say the least. But after I wrote that column the Digital Public Library of America stepped in with grant money, and they invested in making a real, readable, flowable, edited, freely available ebook edition of the Mueller report. And it was terrific. It got 100,000 downloads or more, and it really put some eyeballs on this. Now, to get back to the January 6th report, I imagine the administration this time around, unlike the Trump administration with the Mueller report, wants people to read this. i Guarantee you the administration wants people to read the January 6th report. So maybe we will get a real free ebook edition this time. Maybe the GPO could even partner with the Digital Public Library of America on making that edition. But better yet, and, and here's my point with all of this it's 2022. The Government Publishing Office needs to publish. It needs to publish everything it touches in a readable ebook edition. And I mean that because it's in 2022, this technology is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. We pay for this content. It deserves to be readable. And I'll remind you that the GPO actually changed its name from the government printing office to the government publishing office a few years ago to reflect this new digital reality. So it's really time to get on the stick but rather than leave this to the whim of whatever party is in power whether if they want you to read the report they'll do a free ebook edition and if they don't want you to they'll just put up a an unwieldy pdf i think congress needs to get involved so here's my call to congress let's do this let's mandate real digital publishing at the government publishing office and let's fund them to actually do it i guarantee you it won't be that much and look, let's start with the January 6th report. We have a perfect opportunity. And again, I'm not looking to eat into any commercial publisher's margin here. These print editions are still great and I still think they're worth the money. And I like having the analysis that are added to this by the forwards and epilogues. But at the core of all of this, we, the taxpayers are paying for the creation of these federal reports and we shouldn't have to pay more to read them. So we shouldn't have to pay more to get them in a readable form.
0: Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, thanks for joining me on the program.
1: My pleasure, as always.
0: Coming up on the next podcast from CCC, verbal abuse, violent threats, and even physical attacks on medical staff and scientists reflect a tense relationship between science, media, politics, and the public, reports journalist Anita Macri. When that relationship turns toxic, she notes, public health messages and scientific evidence must battle to be heard. I really think it's also what happens when people need answers and clarity that science isn't yet ready to provide urgently in this case and faster than the usual pace of scientific work. In the early stages of the pandemic, that mismatch left a real vacuum. And there's plenty to fill it. So there are speculation, beliefs, miracle treatments, politics, opinions on social media. So I think for me, that's sort of a key part of why those things sort of tend to happen. The war on science and on scientists coming on the next CCC podcast. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening to this Velocity of Content podcast from CCC.